Hey, this is Joseph Thompson. Thanks for listening to the Open Spaces podcast. Why don't you sit back, relax, and join me as we take a journey together into wide open spaces. Well, guys, thanks for joining us uh, for the uh, final season episode for Open Spaces. And so after today, we'll be taking a break for a couple of weeks and we'll resume again on the 1st of October, which is um, the first Friday of the month of October uh, for season three, episode one. And so I certainly hope you'll be joining us at that time. Well, today I, I want to take a moment and talk about something that's really been heavy on my heart. Uh, I guess I've been doing a lot of that lately. But, you know, I'm, I'm aware of the fact that for so many of us, um, this last year, uh, especially with COVID, uh, and if you're like me, you've actually had COVID, uh, and hopefully it wasn't as bad for you as it was for me. Um, it, my wife and I were close to, to death uh, with COVID, and I, that is no exaggeration, considering that I had a heart attack in April uh, last year, and I think that the impact of COVID was worse for me than the actual heart attack. Anyway, um, I say that to say there's so many of us that are wrestling and struggling with different things in this season, whether it's financial, whether it's relationships, whether it's uh, uh, our faith, uh, things that have forced us to reevaluate and reassess our lives and our journeys and where we are in, the, in our stories. And I know this, that the scriptures abound with stories of men and women who patted themselves on the proverbial back when in an encounter with Jesus, they told him who they thought he was. Now, we all tend to do that. And the reason I say that, in case you disagree, is the fact that we have a picture of who and what we think Jesus is and what we think he's capable of and what he should do, which is why in certain seasons of life, when things don't work out a certain way, the way we expect them to, we say things like, I'm angry at God. Why? Because we created certain expectations. And those expectations created in our minds uh, the thought or belief that things were going to work out the way we wanted them to work out. You see, but each time in scripture that someone patted themselves on the back because they said to Jesus, you are this, and they thought, hey, look, we've solved the problem, the riddle, the equation. Each time that happened, he clarified for them, I'm more than who you think I am. Then he would gently but succinctly remind them, because I am more, you are more than who you think you are. So whether you're currently, as you're listening to me, whether you're at the top of your game or you're at the bottom of the barrel, or even on cruise control somewhere in between those two extremes, no matter where you are on the grid of life, Jesus is saying, because I'm more than who you think I am, you are more than who you think you are. Now, that's critically important. And I'm going to show it to you using a few illustrations, a few stories from the scriptures. You see, in John 3, in John chapter 3, we are introduced to the story of an elite religious leader named Nicodemus. Old Nick is at the top of his game. He's the big cheese in the temple. He's the head honcho, the big kahuna, the you name it, he's it. And Nick slips out late one night while the rest of the Pharisees are watching Jewish Idol, and he clandestinely meets with Jesus. Now, unlike the other Pharisees, 
Nick is convinced that there's something special about Jesus. And he's quick to point it out. Hear his words. Teacher, we know you are a teacher sent from God because no one can do the miracles you do unless God is with him. (laughs) So Jesus responds in the Thompson paraphrase. Thanks, Nick. It's great to meet you too. But really, I'm so much more than you think I am. You see, I'm not just a teacher or a miracle worker. So if you really want to grasp who I am, then check this out. And he points him to John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You see, I'm so much more than who you think I am, Nick. Not just a teacher or a doer of miracles. I am life itself. I'm eternal life, the Son of God. In John chapter 4, we see a contrast to Nick's story. At this point, we don't see a well-placed religious leader, but we see a non-seeker, an antagonistic, jaded woman. And now Jesus is about to cross social, cultural, and prejudicial boundaries. Because clearly race and gender are not an issue for him, even though they are for most people in the culture of the day. And so he settles down at the well to await this Samaritan woman. When the, the woman is, is absolutely astounded when Jesus asks her for a drink of water, especially in light of the racial tensions that exist between Jews and Samaritans. So in response to his astounding question, she says, I'm surprised that you ask me for a drink since you are a Jewish man and I am a Samaritan woman. And then the Bible says Jewish people are not friends with Samaritans. So look at all the cultural norms that are being crossed here. He's a man, she's a woman. He's a Jew, she's a Samaritan. And he deigns to ask her for a drink. So Jesus chuckles and says, if you only knew the free gift of God and who it is that is asking you for water, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So here's the Thompson paraphrase of Jesus' response. Hi, it's good to meet you too. I appreciate your sensitivity and commitment to the ongoing tribal war between Jews and Samaritans. But you really have no idea who I am, do you? You see, I'm so much more than who you think I am. Now, break this down with me for a minute, you see. Because she thought according to the scriptures, that the water from Jacob's well was the best thing ever. She talked about her forefathers, our ancestors drinking from this well. This was the best thing ever. And here this uh, strange Jewish man stands telling her about a water that can not only quench thirst, but eliminate it permanently. And she naturally, like anyone else would do, she promptly accuses him of spreading false rumors by asking, Sir, Where will you get this living water? The well is very deep, and you have nothing to get water with. But I think that behind her question, all the while she's thinking, duh, if you really knew where to get living water that permanently quenches thirst, why are you here asking me for a drink? 
So many of us are like that. We're, we're subconsciously asking questions of Jesus, of his abilities, based on who we think he is. Jesus' response, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give will never be thirsty. The water I give will become a spring of water gushing up inside that person, giving eternal life. Translation, I'm more than who you think I am. I am living water. So here's Jesus playing a mental game of ping pong with this woman, back and forth. She's asking this, he's answering this, she's querying this, he's speaking to something different, something she never brought up. And as we watch this mental gymnastics going back and forth, we watch and observe a woman who was once skeptical, jaded, and far from God, begin to come alive. He tells her about her life, her choices, and further informs her that she doesn't have to live like that anymore. He reminds her that because he is more, she is more. And watch this, guys. We don't have time to delve into this. It's not the focus of my story today, but an entire city is transformed because she's transformed once she recognizes that he is more than who she thought he was. In John chapter 8, our third candidate for bottom, our third story, but our second candidate for bottom of the barrel. A woman, the Bible says, caught in the very act of adultery. I don't even want to draw a mental picture of this. But suffice it to say, the Bible says she was caught in the very act. Okay, so she's thrown down at the feet of Jesus by the religious elite who are looking to discredit him. They feel like they can trap him now. Look, is he going to go against the law of Moses? Because the law of Moses calls us to stone her to death. She's been caught in the very act. Let's not talk about the man who she was caught in the very act with and where he is and what's happening to him, whether he's one of the guys holding the stones, but clearly there's no judgment for him. Certainly not the same kind of judgment that awaits this woman. So she's thrown down by the religious elite at the feet of Jesus, and they are poised, ready to stone her with their rocks of dishonor. And Jesus, remarkably, encourages them to carry out their religious duty. But he calls for the one without sin to lead the charge. You cast the first stone. So here's this woman. Her sins were exposed for all to see. And in the depths of her shame, she's actually ready to welcome death over the mediocrity of her life up until that point. But as each judge judge in quotation marks as each judge drops his rocks and walks away jesus gently says to her i'm not here to condemn you i'm here to save you i'm more than who you think i am go and sin no more <laughs> how amazing is that here's a woman at the end of herself, at the end of her rope, knowing what the Mosaic law says, knowing that she's about to face certain death, and a painful death at that, rocks being hurled at her. And all of a sudden, the very ones who are the religious elite, the leaders who have condemned her according to the law, each drop their rocks and walk away. And Jesus, who has 
greatest reason to condemn her. Does not. He reminds her, I'm more than who you think I am. Go and sin no more. In John chapter 9, we find a blind man who's never seen the kaleidoscope of color, of the color spectrum. He's never experienced the glowing majesty of a sunset or the reward of a sunrise that promises a better today than yesterday. He's simply lived intuitively through the eyes of others, through smell, through touch, and hearing, until he meets Jesus. And then a mud pie made of spit and sand heals him and gives him sight for the first time in his life. And the Pharisees, along with everyone else, begin to debate this man's healing. (laughs) Can you imagine? I mean, here's a miracle A man born blind, and for the first time in his life, at 38 years old or thereabouts, he's able to see, and the debate is whether his healing is valid. Is the theology behind his healing valid? Some even queried whether he was the same person. Listen to this. The neighbors and some people who had earlier seen this man begging said, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some said, he is the one. But others said, no, he only looks like him. The man himself said, I am the man. They asked, how did you get your sight? He answered, the man named Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. Then he told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. John chapter 9 verses 8 through 11. They ask his parents because they're not satisfied with his answer. Then the people took to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. So they sent for the man's parents and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? His parents answered, I love this. We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. That much we know. We can establish that. But we don't know how he can now see. We don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews who had already decided that anyone who said Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. In other words, anyone who disagrees with our religious rules and the way that we run the church and the temple... We give them the left foot of fellowship. You're out. You're done. So not satisfied with his parents' answer, they ask him again. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind. They said, you should give glory to God by telling the truth. We know that this man is a sinner. Referencing Jesus. He answered, I don't know if he's a sinner. But one thing I do know, here's what is certain. I was blind, and now I see. And they asked, what did he do to you? How did he make you see again? He answered, I already told you, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his followers too? I mean, he's even cracking jokes at this point, because he realizes these people aren't looking for answers because they want to believe. They're looking for answers on ways to be able to trap Jesus. So, again, let's go to the Thompson paraphrase response. This is his response in the Thompson paraphrase. I don't know about theology. I don't know about politics. And I certainly don't know about religion. What I do know is this. 
I was blind, but now I can see. So who did he think Jesus was? Well, in verse 17, we find out who he thought Jesus was. They asked the man again, What do you say about him since it was your eyes he opened? The man answered, He is a prophet. And because of his declaration of healing by Jesus, the Bible says that the man is thrown out of the synagogue. But thank God that the story does not end there. We pick up the story in John 9 verse 35. When Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, Jesus found him and said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He asked, Who is the Son of Man, sir, so that I can believe in him? Jesus said to him, You've seen him. The Son of Man is the one talking with you. He said, Lord, I believe. Then the man worshipped Jesus. So here again in glorious technicolor is the Thompson paraphrase of that conversation. I know you think I'm a prophet, but I'm more than who you think I am. I am God incarnate in flesh and bone. And because I am more, you are more. You see, my friends, we need more of Jesus. Why? Because he's more than who we think he is. And the more of him we have, the better we are and the better our world becomes. You see, he's more than a great song, a great sermon. He's more than the euphoria of a great experience. He's even more than the next miracle. He's God incarnate in the flesh. And an encounter with him makes you more than who you think you are. But those aren't my words, they're his. Listen, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. Matthew 28, 18 and 19. Notice that there are no qualifications other than a personal encounter with him. He's simply asking that we be fully devoted followers of his, boldly declaring, I'll do more, I'll be more, because he's so much more. Notice that he said, I, first, speaking about himself, his authority, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Last I checked, heaven and earth are the only realms that are available to humans that we're aware of. Okay? And all authority has been given to him. And then he says, therefore, in other words, based on the authority that I have in heaven and earth, now I'm sending you in that same authority, go and make disciples of all the nations. Why does this matter? It matters because our world is desperately in need of the Savior. And he's commissioned the church to be his hands and feet, to be a reflection of him to our world. So let me close with this story because this is really heartrending. This is a story that was reported on msnbc.com, a story with the heading, Violence Flares at Protest Over Afghan Sex Law. So let me read a quick excerpt from the text. Kabul, a group of some 1,000 Afghans swarmed a demonstration of 300 women protesting against a new conservative marriage law on Wednesday. The women were pelted with small stones as police struggled to keep the two groups apart. The law passed last month says a husband could demand sex with his wife every four days unless she's ill or would be harmed by intercourse, a clause that critics say legalizes marital rape. It also regulates when and for what reasons a wife may leave her home alone. 
Some who opposed the women protesters picked up gravel and stones and threw them at the women. (laughs) You thought it was just the woman caught in adultery? Watch this. While others shouted, death to the slaves of the Christians. Female police held hands around the group to create a protective barrier. You are a dog. You are not a Shiite woman, one man shouted to a young woman in a, to a young woman in a headscarf holding aloft a banner that said, we don't want Taliban law. The woman did not shout back at the man, but told him, this is my land and my people. He says, you are a dog. You are not a Shiite woman. Her response in gentle tones, this is my land and my people. Friends, you and I, are the ones who carry the message of the gospel to remind people, to remind a hurting, broken world that Jesus is more than who we think he is. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thanks for joining us on the Open Spaces podcast. If you enjoyed it, then please like it and share it with your friends. We'd really love to connect with you. And you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at The Open Spaces Podcast.